Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Realcom Live. Um, we're going to have a fun show today. Um, interesting, fun, uh, educational. Um, we're going to take a dive into the Consumer Electronics Show. And this is not a new topic for us. In fact, some would call maybe a little bit of the Realcom secret sauce. Uh, ever since we started 24 years ago, uh, CES has always been something that we considered a strategic part of understanding technology for the coming year. Uh, you know, many, many times we literally take the whole company, pack them up in vans and head to Vegas and everybody would have their assignments and would look into, um, you know, different areas and different departments and different technologies. And the idea was simple that this general technology, which would not hit the real estate industry right away, was setting trends, changing lifestyles, but sooner or later it would have an impact on the built environment. And I'll give you a little example. I mean, early days, we were looking for video conferencing software, just like you're experiencing today. The only thing is it wasn't that good. But we knew that once you could deliver effective, you know, 30 frames per second, clear video, that the concept of mobile workers was gonna become more prevalent. And it took a pandemic in 20, you know, 20 and 2021 uh, to really get the whole world to understand the power of this. So the idea of today's show is we're going to look at what's new today. Uh, and we got a really great guest, Mark Vina, the CEO and principal analyst at Smart Tech, Smart Tech Research. Uh, he's a, a CES guru, if you will. He, he goes to the show every year. His company focuses a lot on consumer technology. So we felt let's bring in a real expert, somebody who was at the show this year. And the first part of the show, we're going to talk about you know, what he saw. And then the second part, we're going to talk about how could it impact the built environment and, and maybe a little bit of when and why. So with that, let's bring on Mark Vina. And uh, Mark, how are you? Great to see you. Hey, Jim, how are you? Thank you Good. for being uh, on, on the show. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, you know, I remember the old days, literally, we'd have you know, eight, 10 of us running around CES and um, it was always an exciting show. So why don't you first give us a little bit of your background so everybody's got some context on, on what you do. And then let's jump right into the show that you just came uh, back from a couple weeks ago. Sure. Well, thank you, Jim. Um, I'm uh, the, uh, the principal analyst and CEO of Smart Tech Research. I cover the smart home uh, and all the aspects and conduits and uh, elements that therein lie in the, uh, the smart home, the infrastructure, IoT, all the multiple pieces that come together in that. My background is I really come from a consumer tech background. You know, I've worked with, uh, 16 years for Compaq and Dell. So I'm I, kind of my early heritage in the tech space is really as a, um, a PC guy, but mm -hmm. uh, the, it's been a fun, uh, you know, fun ride here. And, you know, during the last several years, the smart home obviously has really gotten the attention of a lot of people and certainly has a very profound impact in the, um, in the real estate uh, and the construction market. So I'm, I'm happy to be on the, on the um, broadcast. Yeah. So, so, you know, the CES has always been that annual event that everybody looked forward to. It kind of gave you a look into what was coming, right? Mm -hmm. and, and and I remember walking around three, four voluminous exhibit halls. It was an all-day event. You were exhausted at the end of the day. You did it for a couple of days. It was work, right? So obviously with COVID, they've been struggling as everybody has with you know in-person events. Give us a little flavor of what it felt like this year. Was it as crowded? Was the energy the same? You know, what did you see? Now, this was probably the most un unusual CES I've ever attended. I mean, you know, generally they've got they've gotten attendance levels as high as one hundred seventy five thousand. Um, right. 
last year the show had no attendance. You know, the show was essentially canceled. Everything was virtual. And the two things that jumped out at me uh, that will probably not happen next year, it was very easy to get a Uber ride. You never had to wait longer than a couple of minutes. And since you've been out there, you know that getting dinner reservations during CES, if you haven't made reservations or impossible, you could walk into any restaurant you want and get reservations uh, wow. just like that. And attendance was, was probably in the 40,000 person range. That's the reported number they came back yeah. with. Uh, but nevertheless, there was a lot of companies that made some big news. Um, Smart Home, we'll, we'll talk about that in a few moments, was all over the place. And, uh, you know, the technology industry uses CES as kind of a, a jumping off point for telling the world what's coming the following year in terms of technology. And it's a critical show to be at. And, uh, you know, it was actually um, a lot of interesting things came out of it. And I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah. So let's let's jump right in. So. Um, I, I, we, and we prep a little bit for this conversation. So why don't you give us your top five big trends, not real estate tech, but general tech trends that you picked up you know, this year at CES uh, and take us through those. And then uh, I'll come back in and we can, uh, we can dive in. Yeah, I mean, the first thing was um, the smart home and something called Matter. Now, Matter is an initiative that is going to really be a humongous boon for the um, smart home industry in that it's an interoperability platform, meaning that when you go out and buy some lights at Target or you want to go out and buy a smart lock or a smart garage door opener, the promise of Matter is that if that product has the, the Matter um, certification, that product will work with both Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, and uh, and Apple uh, Apple HomeKit, which believe it or not is a huge deal. Anybody who's you know installed those type of devices in their home knows that it's it's a struggle sometimes to make these devices work together. And that the Matter initiative was everywhere. There, you couldn't find a a, um, a booth that didn't have that logo or that certification um, uh, in the in the booth in some way. So that's great news. Now n none of those products have shipped yet. Um, uh, matter has been de was delayed. They were supposed to deploy some matter inop in inoperable products last year, and that got kind of pushed out until next year. So I'm still very much hoping that's going to happen. But it has broad support. I mean, Apple's thrown their support around it. Google's thrown their support around it. Amazon's thrown their support around. It, so that's a big deal. The other part of the smart home that I think was really key is is venerable Z-Wave. Now, the Z-Wave um, and the Z-Wave Alliance, Z-Wave is a low-power protocol that's been around for a long time. It's been around, I think, 10 or 15 years. Uh, it was really about the smart home before there was it was called the smart home. And those devices, um, there was a, a plethora of companies that were showing, you know, Z-Wave compliance. And those are typically devices that are, you know, are relatively um, basic from an operational standpoint. Like, for example, it might be a sensor on a window or a smart, uh, smart door lock. And the great thing about a Z-Wave product or compatible product is that it's, um, uh, first and foremost, is that it's low power. So the battery um, operational support typically is very, very attractive. So that was a big deal. And, um, you know, I was kind of, it was interesting to uh, observe that. The other thing was the PC is not dead. You know, a lot of people like to think that we all use smartphones and, and tablets, but uh, certainly Intel would have uh, none, of, none of that. And, you know, Intel announced uh, brand new CPUs that are very, very competitive from a performance standpoint and a battery life standpoint with some of the solutions that you've seen from Apple with their Apple Silicon. So that was very, very exciting. Uh, they have a, a, a spec called Evo, E-V-O, and that is a spec that when you go to retail and you see that spec on that laptop, 
you, it, it uh, is um, compliant with very high-end performance attributes, you know, really very uh, high-end performance from a wireless support standpoint, from a, a, a processor performance standpoint. And it's just great to see Intel continue to push the needle on raising the bar on what the uh, major PC manufacturers are doing from a PC deployment standpoint. In the smart car area, um, uh, Sony made some news. They actually announced that they're going to be in the car business. Um, uh, they didn't actually go that far, except that they did announce the fact that they're creating a, a, a division called the Sony Mobile Division, which is going to be all, be all about them developing um, uh, their own EVs, which is going to be very, very interesting. They really didn't go into a lot of detail about how they would, um, uh, how they would execute that. Uh, Qualcomm and NVIDIA continue to make big announcements in terms of the ingredients that are going to show up in EVs. And it's important to point out that Qualcomm and NVIDIA have really distinctively different approaches toward the smart car. Um, you know, Qualcomm, because of their, their, their support uh, behind 5G, and we, we, we should talk a little bit, about Jim, later about 5G, but they believe that the, um, the uh, tomorrow's smart car will be heavily reliant on a great 5G connection that will allow you know low latency um, capabilities that will provide safety and support and all the uh, wonderful attributes that come together when you have a fast um, wireless connection between a, a, a car and a, a wireless um, a wireless tower. Uh, but Nvidia, on the other hand, they've been approaching it for years in that they believe that the best approach toward an EV uh, implementation is uh, literally like putting a server in the car because they believe that all the computing power needs to be there to comprehend uh, the, uh, the challenges with enabling autonomous driving. So that was kind of interesting. The battle between Qualcomm and Nvidia continues to go on, but lots and lots of support there. Um, TCL had a big show. Now, TCL is a major, major... Um, uh, uh, TV manufacturer, smart TVs, they, they have their hands in a lot of other products. Uh, but they announced, if you can believe this, Jim, you probably want, want, you probably want, uh, want one of these. They announced an $8,000 98-inch uh, television set, uh, 4K uh, um, uh, QLED television, which is absolutely fabulous. You know, um, you probably have to build another room in your house to use it. But, you know, wall-size TVs, wall-size, um, you know, really... Uh, 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 entertainment areas with very, very large TVs were, were a big, big deal there. And you really, it was hard not to, you know, uh, to go to any part of CES without seeing um, those kind of devices there. And then the last thing that I think was big is that you see this continual emphasis with different technology companies on building out smart cities and smart retail. And, you know, just talked a, a little bit about smart retail. You know, Qualcomm has made that a big initiative. Uh, Qualcomm, you know, has the ingredients and technology to enable this kind of reinvention of the retail experience, you know, one day you'll be able to go into a grocery store, put all the groceries in your in your basket, not stop at the checkout counter, not scan anything, just walk out, and you'll get a complete, accurate um, accounting of everything you purchased. Or those items might come to your car automatically when you pull up. So there's a variety of different technology demos that uh, Qualcomm has been um, demonstrating that really enables this whole idea of reinventing the retail experience. Yeah, and, and we've actually worked, Qualcomm's actually been to our conference and has you know, yeah. had space on the exhibit floor. So they've dabbled in the smart building world with us oh, yeah. uh, a little bit in and out, but um, you know, we're obviously keeping an eye on them. Let me, before we take our, a commercial break and come back and talk just about the, the impacts of the built environment, I want to talk a little bit about adoption because everything you've told me is as exciting as it always is. CES always, you come back jazzed and ready to go. But um, 
our industry always tries to figure out when is this going to get real and when should I really make the investment inside my building. I'll give you an example. 2013, a guy named Dave Lorenzini on our general session stage uh, puts on a pair of Google glasses. So that's that's nine years ago, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I remember he was walking around, he had a little camera and everybody was kind of laughing and, you know, not too much real stuff, a little more cartoonish. And then, you know, we set up Facebook and now the metaverse and Oculus glasses. And I remember crawling around the, the conference room of the Irvine company about five years ago with Oculus uh, glasses, looking at their conference room, you know, visualized, you know, are you getting any sense that the adoption curve is getting faster or shorter? And, you know, because for those in the built environment, they can't make investments on technology that's not going to make it go away. Um, how, how, real, how real is 5G? Let's, let's pick on 5G because it's been around for about four years now. How real is 5G? Well, I think this is going to be the year of massive, massive 5G adoption. I mean, you just saw the quarter that Apple had. Um, you know, Apple and Samsung, you know, are the lion's share uh, suppliers of smartphone devices and all of their now flagship phones have 5G. Uh, the infrastructure now is coming on. Um, as you know, Verizon and AT&T turned on their ultra wideband parts of uh, 5G last week. There's been some issues with, air I'm not going to get into all the details about the air airports and all the, um, the, sa the saga and drama behind that. But I think it's, I really think this year will be the year that you see 5G deployed in such a such a dramatic way that within the home, you'll see uh, people say, you know what, my 5G connection is so strong that I now can blow up my coaxial connection that I was using for five uh, for a cable connection, wow. and I can take that 5G connection and Netgear, Netgear, for example, they have routers, Jim, that can take the 5G signal, convert that to a wireless signal for your home. Oh my and goodness. Yes, and um, that will become much more pervasive. So, um, so, so we, we got to take a break, but I want to ask you one quick question before we go. I guess it's pretty safe to say that as the speed, the latency, all the power of 5G is released this year, that the concept of walking into a $100 million skyscraper in a beautiful city and not being able to use your phone because the wireless connection is not working, that is no longer going to be acceptable. Well, it will become less, it will be, I wouldn't say it's going to get eliminated completely. I think what you're seeing right now, um, uh, Qualcomm is promoting this vision, Apple's promoting this vision, Intel is promoting this vision, that you want, always want to have always-on connectivity. You want to be at the point where, whether you're in an underground garage, at your home. But we've been fighting, we've been struggling for years to get the telecommunication carriers and the building owner operators to figure out who's going to put that infrastructure in those buildings in order to maintain that strong signal. And, and now with all this added functions, these added functions and features, it's going to be even more important that you maintain that signal. So we got to get yeah. that figured out. Yeah. And, and, and let me just add, and you're aware there's tons and tons of research that are available that says that consumers, when they look at real estate, obviously it's location, 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 but their desire for having to buy a home that is smart home ready and depending on how you want to define that, is becoming a key criteria. You could say the same, same thing about apartments. You know, yeah. we've had in the last couple of years, we've had this great migration out of, out of cities into apartments. Rents have gone up without, yeah. without going into all the, the demographic issues that have impacted that. But there is tons of research that show that people, when they even rent an apartment, having that apartment being smart, smart home ready is a key criteria. Big incentive, yeah. And That's by the way, yeah. They're willing to pay for it as well, too. They're not looking for freebies. Yeah. Most, of the, most of this research indicates that they're willing to pay a fee, an additional fee, if that smart home apartment 
you know, provides extra value to them. Let's take this quick commercial break and come back and we're going to talk about the real impacts to the built environment uh, based on the stuff Mark saw at CES this year. All right, let's get back to our conversation with Mark on CES. All right, Mark, we, we don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to dive right into it. And I'm going to pick on a couple of the trends that you spotted. Um, you, you didn't even have 5G on your chart because you said it was everywhere. It wasn't even worth putting on the chart. It's ubiquitous. But our, but our industry has struggled, you know, with maintaining strong cell phone uh, signals inside buildings uh, because of the cost, right? And there, we've had DAS, distributed antenna systems. We're now looking at private networks, um, you know, to maintain that signal. Um, what do you say to the building owners, you know, malls, office building, um, about the need to have strong signals inside their buildings with the advent of 5G really coming on board this year? I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a must have. And I'll give you a very tangible example of that. I just went out and bought a brand new car, at least a brand new car about four or five weeks ago. It's got every smart, uh, smart car feature you could imagine. It's an Audi. And it has a smart app that allows me to monitor the, the, the car's condition, uh, uh, understand its location, a whole slew of data. I parked the car under my garage in my building out in San Jose, and it, I can't get connected to it. You know, so there's a whole slew of features, and, it's, and that's especially true with EV cars that really require continuous co connectivity. Well, let's, yeah, okay, so let's go right into that conversation. So you said autonomous vehicles are really starting to pick up. We can see it on television commercials. We can see it when we go to buy new cars, whether it's assisted driving or full autonomous, it's coming more and more every day. So what happens in a parking garage, either under a building or next to a building that doesn't have adequate wireless connection? And that autonomous vehicle or assisted vehicle, you know, uh, automobile pulls up. What will owners and operators need to do to those garages to make sure those signals stay strong? Well, there's a variety of solutions, and there are more of them every single day. Where either, the, and it depends on whether you, if you're living in a, an apartment, of course, uh, there might be um, uh, there might be HOA restrictions on what you can install, how you can install it. They may have, they, they may ha may have to manage the install because they want to have a um, comparable solutions throughout the entire garage. But in California, for example, which has a very aggressive stance on, you know, allowing people who live in apartments to request that and, they, and the landlord can't say no, they have, they have to accommodate the renter or the person who owns the unit to provide that. And it's not just about providing charging capability with charging stations. You also have to have connectivity because those charging right. stations are dependent on delivering that vis-a-vis -a, -vis a connected um, platform. And, and to be, be very clear, it's not going to be the carrier's responsibility. The building owner operator is going to be the one that's going to need to put this telecommunications into these facilities in order to stay either connected with my car or my new brand new 5G cell phone. That's absolutely true. They have the responsibility for that. And the good news is that there's a lot of, there's a lot of choices. You know, it used to be where these charging stations and the infrastructure to do this in a building was very, very expensive. It's really coming down. There's not, and I'm not going to go all the detail. There's more and more affordable solutions for even for public um, uh, facilities, private facilities, where it's not that expensive. Right. You know, five yeah. G to me, you know, other than at the consumer level, faster, more, you know, faster, you know, more powerful. Latency. To me, what it, what five G really represents is the carrier's full on commitment to get those signals strong inside buildings. Yes, I've never seen a push to get that signal everywhere whether it's, like I said, an autonomous vehicle or a cell phone, they want to make sure everybody stays connected. Well, and, th and there's other reasons for it as well, Jim. I mean, for example, connected health is now becoming a big deal. You know, I have an Apple Watch 
And this Apple Watch has a cellular connection built into it. And, um, you know, and Apple is really great at promoting stories like this, by the way. But the number of people who have been saved because they were in a location that, that they lost their phone, they had their watch with them, they may have had a medical situation, they, they press a button, and automatically, you know, if they've enabled the capability uh, with Apple, you know, their, their location can be identified correctly. So c imagine having that capability in a building where someone, right. God forbid, has a heart attack in an elevator. You want that person to have the ability to, to, to be located on the grid. Yeah, so, they showed that there was a there's a great commercial. The person was hiking. I saw it recently. Yes. Where we're yep. looking. All right, we are going to run out of time. We're not going to get to all the topics because we're going to miss AV, VR, XR, metaverse. But let's talk about um, LED walls, right? We've been seeing them now for 10, 12 years. Very expensive, you know, hundred thousand dollars. And we're seeing some of the most sophisticated building owners starting to put those walls in their lobbies, in their common areas to create immersive experiences. I believe they're gonna have a huge role in the conference room of the future as opposed to just a screen on the wall. Tell us what you saw with the LED technology, cost, power, vibrance, and some applications you might've spotted. That's a great question. I think you know Samsung has done a great job of kind of leading the charge in an almost tile-like capability that are LEDs that you can build a wall as large as you want to. And the costs are not as expensive, I mean, they're. They're not consumer-friendly prices, but in terms of, like, for example, I could see buildings. Now, you cited the conference room, but I could see a private building, for example, for informational purposes, you know, in a very discreet, tasteful type of way, enable an entire, let's say, lobby with, with, uh, with, a, with a very, very large LED class type of display, which they can build now via, via Samsung and other, other companies who do this, that allow it almost to be like a scoreboard. The for in alerts, information, et cetera, et cetera. It's got to replace the artwork in the marble walls, is what I say. But by the way, when it's not functioning as a display, it can be used for the because the resolutions are so incredible. It can look like a marble wall. <laughs> yes, and it can or a waterfall or a waterfall. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. We've actually not seen as much adoption of this, at least in the United States. Globally, China, Middle East, other yes. Europe a lot more aggressive on the adoption of this. Um, do you see more of these uh, applications coming to the built environment in the U.S. in the coming months? Or well, yeah. Yes, and it already is. I mean, if you're seeing that, for example, major airports. You know, major airports right now are, you know, displacing the, the, the traditional um, TVs that you see for flight information. They're using that as huge portals in, at airports, at terminals, for display of, you know, marketing information, advertising, news alerts, the news yep. itself. Because once you get a, a graphical display, there's all kinds of incredible things you can do with it. And, you know, back to your point, you can do it in a very, very tasteful way. I mean, you don't want to talk, convert a lobby into like the, the, uh, at a, a sports book where you see all this. Exactly. Like, <laughs> it needs to be more subtle. That. Yeah, it needs to be more subtle. But it can be done in a very tasteful way. So, so just to kind of review, 5G, smart home, autonomous driving, XR, VR, AR, metaverse, immersive experiences, LED, the building owners and operators, they, if they pay attention to what's going on at CES, that, those trends are going to quickly make their way into the buildings that they oh, own and operate. Absolutely. There's no question okay. about it. You know, and, and, and AR, VR, that is probably going to big, uh, is going to be big. The only reason why I'm probably putting a, a bit of a cautionary pause on that is that the industry really is waiting for Apple to pull the trigger 
on what they announced later this year with their Apple glasses, whatever that mutates into. Yeah. And once yeah. app, you know, when Apple makes the announcement around something, typically that's when you see the the, the gets the, everybody's the, attention. Gets yeah. everybody's attention. Yeah. All right. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. I knew this week could have gone on for hours. You did a really good job at kind of honing in on the on those high level trends. Uh, and I really appreciate um, your expertise and, and for taking the time and come and share it with our audience. I enjoy doing it, Jim. Thanks for inviting me. We will be back in touch with you, no doubt. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. With that, let's bring on Howard Berger, who's going to take us to this week's news and give us an idea of what the heck is going on in prop tech, real estate tech, whatever tech we're going to call it, but uh, technology that impacts the built environment. So take it away, Howard. Well, thanks, Jim. Hey, uh, and, and thank you for... Uh, Joining us, Mark. That was a great conversation. Um, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to highlight a couple of articles from our weekly news briefing. It goes out every Thursday morning. And our lead article is from Jim himself. And the premise is we get six major paradigms that are colliding in a way that can significantly impact the built environment. And historically, as we move through the agrarian age and the industrial age, the pre-information age, the information age, each of these timelines had an impact on how we live, work, and play. And by extension, the, the cities we design and the buildings that populate them. And in this article, Jim uh, deconstructs six major paradigm shifts. You got tech, financial, biological, climate, globalization, and demographic. And each of these paradigms in itself is powerful. But now we have six converging on us all at once. And we need to think about these and be aware of the potential impact. So I'm not going to go into all the detail here, but I encourage you to read the article. Uh, I want to shout out to this week's tech partners, Plan On and Sharp Launch. And from plan on, we have the article entitled The Demise of the Point Solution, circa 2022. Interesting title. And as, uh, as expected, Darlene Pope builds the case that although it may be attractive to stitch together best of breed solutions, the potential complexity can cause skyrocketing technology debt. Now, a part, and that's a problem that's only partially mitigated by using a, a centralized API integration platform, hence. The simplicity and ultimate value of a single single stack solution, which in this writing, uh, she applies to the example of IWMS or the integrated workplace management solution. And for that use case, I heartily agree. Uh, so much more in the article, um, uh, recommend it. And next from Nesca Hussar at Sharp Launch, uh, they write five commercial real estate marketing trends to look out for in 2020. So we're living in a digital world, pandemic accelerated, you know, it's accelerated our adoption of a host of digital tools, everything from virtual tours, Teams, Zoom, interactive maps, more. And all of these are influencing commercial real estate marketing as evidence in five digital marketing trends, which in this article, Nesca goes into detail on each. And I would say, I suggest read the article. Uh, moving along, what's in the buzz, in, you know, what's the buzz in New York this week? Uh, so earlier this week, Rudin Management announced that John Gilbert, its long-serving COO and Chief Technology Officer, John's going to be stepping down to focus full-time on his role at Prescriptive Data, the award-winning prop tech company he co-founded in 2015. And I don't know if you recall, over two decades ago, Realcom early on recognized John as one of the pioneering visionaries who literally dedicated his career to advancing tech adoption and building, starting with his innovative broadband strategy implementation in 55 Broad, the world's first smart building. And Realcom has consistently been alongside John on his journey of innovation ever since. So congratulations on your next chapter, John. Uh, also, 
it's amazing when you think about how all of the incredible technologies we used to see in the original Star Wars and Star Trek and how some of those are actually here today. You know, we have body scanners. We have the, the equivalent of the iPhones, the equivalent of the Star Trek communicator. And now we have 3D hologram projections. So this little company portal based out of Los Angeles, they created the first device that lets people actually beam themselves to locations thousands of miles away and interact with people there. So now in addition to their full life-sized epic portal, they've introduced the world's first tabletop holographic communication and media device called MBiPortal, uh, which was a three-time CES 2022 award, innovation award honoree. And this M device aims to bring holograms into your homes and offices without an AR or VR set and add a new dimension to your desktop video communications, FaceTime, Teams, uh, Zoom, you name it. Still a couple of months away though, so keep an eye out on it. Um, so guys, that's uh, time's up. That's it for me today. Uh, hope to see you all next week. Thank you. Howard, as always, great job. And uh, it's amazing, you know, you mentioned the portal. Um, great things continue to sneak into our world through CES. I mean, uh, Mark, you know, did a great um, uh, recap of what he saw, this product coming out of CES just, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So it's it's a really good place to get an understanding of, of what the year is going to look like as far as big innovation. So thanks for finding that and uh, uh, bringing that news to us this week. Thanks, Jim. Enjoy the recall. All right, so before I wrap, let's hear from our final sponsor, and I'm going to come back and talk about next week's show a little bit. All right, so a little bit of a segue from Howard's news articles on uh, the, the hologram topic. It's, and this is going to, next week uh, is going to be a topic on hologram technology, but it's going to evolve into a conversation of the immersive experiences that we're going to have to start seeing inside buildings, inside conference rooms, inside lobbies in order to make these places that we've all worked for our entire careers more engaging and more able and better to communicate with each other. Uh, otherwise, we're gonna just stay sitting in our home. So this topic is of a great interest to me personally because in 20, or it was it uh, 2001, we actually had teleportation technology at Realcom in Dallas where we teleported somebody uh, from England, uh, right into the general session. And if you could have heard the gasps of the audience, um, it was, he looked more real, more natural, more healthy than I did. So um, long ago, it's now going on 21 years later, um, we are going to talk about what type of new technologies are gonna be coming into the built environment. They're gonna allow you to connect with people halfway around the world, even better than we do now on Teams and Zoom and other video conference uh, systems. But how do we really get that feeling of, are we in the same room with them? How do we communicate? How do we share information? So next week, we are very fortunate to have uh, David Nosbaum and Doug Berry of Portal Hologram, and they're going to give us a deep dive into some of their newest technologies. And then, of course, we're going to talk about how does that impact the office building, the mall, the apartment, uh, and the built environment in general. So with that, I want to say thank you to our guest today, Mark. Uh, to Howard for the news, our team for production, and of course, our sponsors. So with that, everybody have a great weekend, and we'll see you next Friday on Realcom Live. Be well.